find a way on their own because the people who God blesses to bless his people choose to hoard, choose houses and land and silver and gold and have chosen not to make Jesus their choice. So Father God, in the name of Jesus, we just come before you today. We just thank you and praise you. We lift up our brother Curtis during this time. We, we, we reach out to him and spiritually to, to touch and embrace him, to give him peace. Uh, we, we pray, God, that resources be made no matter where they come from, even if it comes from this place. As small as we may be that we may find it within our hearts as we've done with so many other people to, to extend that help. What, whatever it is, to just lend a hand. Yeah, yeah. That if they're sleeping on the sidewalk, that maybe tonight or for the week they can have a room someplace where they can shower. A pillow to lie on and covers that are not word, covered with bugs and spiders. Lord, help us as a people to get back to what we have been called to do. Open up our hearts as a nation as we stop turning our backs on the world and wreaking havoc and causing problems around the world. And, and when those things are disrupted, have these people running to us and only to have us herd them in cages. Forgive us, Lord, for electing officials that can stand by so heartless on a side of the fence, looking at human beings as if they are animals in a zoo and not have the courage to stand up and say, my faith does not allow me to keep men in cages. My faith does not allow me to separate children from their parents. My faith does not allow me to just hoard everything, no houses and land and silver and gold, because you're supposed to be my choice, God. And if I choose you, then I have to choose to love my brother. You didn't just make a suggestion to us that we help our fellow man. You said that we are supposed to treat the widow, the foreigner, and the orphan as if they were one of our own. We're supposed to love them as we love ourselves. And Lord, I do not believe any one of us would prefer captivity over freedom. None of us would prefer living on the sidewalk as opposed to our nice houses and beds. None of us want to be out in the hot sun instead of air-conditioned rooms. So God, we ask that you touch our hearts, that we begin to take on a new political philosophy, one that is rooted in your word that says, we will love our people. Help us, God, to be the people you have called us to be. Continue to work on us and transform us that we will be a reflection of who you are and not who we think we should be. We love you, Lord, and we bless you. For it is in Jesus Christ's name we do pray and believe. Amen. 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 Good morning. Good morning, everybody. I'm so glad to be back after going and sitting for the uh, officiating the wedding for Mimi and her uh, husband, uh, Urban. Uh, we hope that they uh, have a, a lifelong, a lifetime of happiness and joy and peace and hope that they are able to find their way to visit with us uh, when uh, they come back to California to visit. Uh, but we do, uh, uh, I'm glad to be back here. Thank uh, Pastor Chris for uh, standing in, the, in my absence and uh, delivering that word, why worry, uh, which as I sat at my, my uh, desk watching it on, on Facebook, I uh, had shed several tears. Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, when I worried and listening to those those reasons why we shouldn't worry and how yeah, yeah. you know what I'm trying to say so thank you uh, Pastor Chris and so as we are in very much into the month of July halfway through the year and if this is the year of transformation, we have to really look at where we are. Today, July 14, 2019, 24 weeks and two days remaining in 2019, 171 days in total. And the question we have to ask on this transformation journey is what did you do with the first half of the year? The rhetorical question that we ask ourselves, what have we been doing for the past six months? 
Am I still in the same spiritual place or have I grown? Are these same things that trigger me still triggering me? Have I gotten to a place where I've grown in my faith? Have I gotten to a place where I've shown affection and love to the people who need it most from me? Have, have I gotten to a place where I'm demonstrating the love of Christ in my life to those who encounter, encounter me on a day-to-day -day basis? What have I done with the first half of the year and what am I going to do for these next 171 days? Because God is moving. He has moved. He's moving and he will move in these remaining days of this year. The only question remains, are you going to receive those, the, the movement of God in your life? Or are we going to continue to be stagnant where we've been? Or in some cases, backtracking. So I was inspired to start a, a short sermon series entitled Trust the Provider, Not the Provision. Because we as Christians have been sold the bill of sales that a reflection of God's love towards us or our reflection of the faith that we supposedly have in God will be determined by the amount of provision a prime amount of things that we have. But undoubtedly, provisions will go away. That's right. Undoubtedly, we will encounter a time in life where we won't have everything we've been accustomed to. Whether it is things, whether it is jobs, whether it is health, whether it is people. And there comes a time, that time comes, and we have to decide, are we trusting in these things? Or are we trusting in God? Have we decided to make Jesus our choice? In other words, uh, the scripture that's going to cover this series comes from the sixth uh, chapter of Matthew, which is ironically the same uh, chapter that uh, uh, Pastor Chris preached from last week, uh, except a little earlier on. And this is verses 19 through 21. And he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where, the, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The, this, 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 the covering for us of, of reminding that we have to trust God, that trust the provider and not the provision. Because he's telling us directly here in this scripture, this little section of scripture, that the provisions and the things that we have here on earth are, are susceptible to destruction. Yeah. They're either going to be susceptible by destruction by insects or just by natural nature. Uh, moth and rust destroy, or somebody might take it from you. Yeah. It says, but lay up your treasures in heaven. Our faith and our trust is only supposed to be in the provider. God, Jehovah, Yahweh, the great I am, the God of Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob, or Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but not in the things that we possess. And we have to be reminded of this to continue to trust God because sooner or later we're going to have a time in our lives, maybe not this extreme, but there are people around the world who are dealing with this. They have no provision, but yet they still have to maintain faith in the provider. Just being able to, to get up and go to the refrigerator and get a bottle of water is a blessing. The fact that you can open up the refrigerator and that bottle of water be cold is a blessing. But even if the refrigerator breaks down and the water's room temperature, at least it's clean and not out of a muddy puddle. But even if you find yourself in a place where this is the only available water, or you find yourself like Brother Curtis who doesn't have a home to lay, uh, lay his head, you still have to trust the provider. Amen. The problem that we face is that we see churches and teachers uh, raising up and creating new doctrines that will say that this little boy does not have faith in God. That if indeed he had the faith in God, he would be able to live in the same state that we live in. Not taking into account that all of us are here by the grace of God. We were fortunate through this genetic makeup uh, that we have, that we were born here and not someplace else. That's right. 
Because it could have been easily the other way that we were the people living in third world countries and they are living here in what we call a first world country. But that's because we trust our things and not in God. Provision, and you have to remember what this definition of provision uh, is. Provision is the act or the process of supplying or providing something. It is the something that is done in advance to prepare for something else. And we've seen examples of that in the Bible where God prepares a way before the person even knows that he's making provision. Uh, and it says the last one, the supply of food and other things that are needed. In addition to food, the, the other things that are needed are a home to go to, pillows, covers, electricity, to power the things inside of our homes, the other things, jobs to go to with benefits so that we can go to the doctor because we need to be able to get prescriptions to take care of our illness. These are the other things that God is talking about or the provision is, not just food, but the other things that are needed to have a normal life. Uh, see, it, it's very easy for some of us to uh, get to a place where we feel disheartened when the resources, the provisions that we've been used to disappear. Yeah. Right. Talk to somebody who experienced Hurricane Katrina and saw their house completely destroyed because the floodwaters rose to the roof. Right. It becomes very easy to be disheartened in times like this. Yeah. And, and too many times in our lives we, we get enamored with the gifts and blessings of God and we take our eye off of who gave those things to us. Right. We were so enthralled with all the trappings of what success is supposed to be as human beings that we forget God is the one who made it possible. And sometimes when God is removing certain things from us, he's taking us to a place that we're supposed to go or he's signaling to us to go to a different place but we miss the opportunity because we've been so focused on these things and not on him. That's the point of being transformed. That's the point of transformation that our mind and our focus is on God alone so that when these things happen, we don't have to worry about it. I mean, even Pastor Chris said, why worry? God has already have it in control. And so today, the scripture we're going to look at is as we're dealing with this overall subject of, of trusting the provider and not the uh, provision, we go to the Old Testament book of 1 Kings chapter 17. It is a, we're going to deal with uh, most of this chapter, but I'm going to highlight these seven verses this morning, verses 1 through 7. Uh, this is where we're introduced to the prophet, of, the man of God, Elijah. And it says these words in verse 1, And Elijah the Tishbite, of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Uh, I'm going to stop there real quick because we're dealing with a man who is a prophet of God. Yes. Not like these jack, jack, uh, jack leg preachers walking around here calling themselves prophet this and prophet that. Yes. Uh, it seems like every other person you meet that has a ministry, they're prophet this. <laughs> Whatever the name is. Did the mic just go off? Yeah. Mic check. Turn this one off. Too. Yeah, I guess this one's off. Where is uh, Gravity Maya's mic for me, please? So one of the things that we learn when we talk about a prophet, a true prophet of God, who is aligned with God, the word is going to come true. Unlike everybody who calls themselves a prophet, like I've had somebody prophesy into my life about things that were supposed to happen, prophesy to my wife about things that were supposed to happen, and they don't happen. Prophets do not mess up the word of God. The way you test a prophet is if his word comes true. And when these people who call themselves prophet this and prophet that and the word does not come true, they are illegal and a fraud. 
but Elijah is not a fraud. Elijah tells King Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Verse 2, then the word of the Lord came to him saying, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And verse 7, and it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So uh, uh, this morning we're going to use as a theme when the brook dries up. All right. So when I, I stopped reading this, this, this scripture and talked about the prophet, why we, how you know a true prophet, because his word comes true. What, he, what God tells him comes to pass. He tells the king, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, not day or month, these years, except in my word. And we see as it ends in verse 7, and it happened after a while that the brook dried up. And, I, uh, uh, and there, because there had been no rain in the land. The prophet said there was not going to be any rain until I say so. And the word says there was no rain in the land. Now remember, many times we become so enamored with the gifts and the blessings that God has blessed us with, we take our eyes off the giver. Nobody ever thinks... That when you are living high on the hog, when you're living, particularly in 2019, that we are so far removed from everything. It's crazy when you talk to some people, particularly when we deal with racism in the society and, and reparations with some people say we don't deserve, but that's a whole nother story. We don't realize that we are not that far removed from slavery. Most of us are just one generation removed from sharecropping. One generation from sharecropping. And the ones that are not one generation are two. That ain't no time. A generation is only 20 years. So uh, most of us are 20 years removed from picking cotton in the field. And the rest of us are 40 years from it. And yet we sit around here today because we live in a house in Inglewood, Carson, or Compton, or in my case in Cerritos, thinking we got something. Just one generation from walking around, as my dad used to say, walking around barefoot, stepping in cow patties. Used to crack me up when you talk about how sometimes it was the best feeling to have that squishing between your toes. Country folk. One generation removed from this and thinking it's because we're so great. We have worked so hard and provided so well for our families and sent them to the best schools and encouraged them to study and be the best they could be. They went and they studied and they graduated from these prestigious colleges and, and schools from around the country and become doctors, lawyers, and preachers, and evangelists, and everything that we can put a title on. And we're all so great. And forgetting the fact that God is the only one that made this possible. We're so enamored with these gifts and we forget the provider. Because the provision is so wonderful. But there comes a time when that brook runs dry. And we have to decide where our faith is going to be placed. In the things or in God. So in this scripture what we're going to see right now is. Elijah, the man of God, versus King Ahab and Jezebel. Verse 17, or First King, chapter 17, verse 1, we are introduced to Elijah, and it says that Elijah, the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel is, before whom I stand, he is identifying clearly who he is aligned with. You are the king, but I stand with God. You may be the president of the United States, but I stand with God. As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be no dew nor rain these years except in my word. This is Elijah standing with God, approaching the king and telling him directly, having the audacity to tell the king, 
you're wrong and you're foul. Yes. And because you're foul, the God who I serve, we're not having no land or rain here. Not until I say it for years. Then we see King Ahab. We're, we're, we see him, he's introduced in chapter 16. The end of chapter 16. First Kings chapter 16 verse 30 says, Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Here is a king, president, whatever you want to call him. And it says he did evil in the sight of the Lord more than anyone before him. This is, it really is comical. And I posted something about this a few months ago on Facebook because here we have a king who did more evil in the sight of God than all before him. Yes. And the one thing that characterizes Ahab more than the other kings is because he married a foreign bride. Just like our current president. Well, yeah. Done more evil in the sight of this country than anybody has. And what did he do? Marry some woman from Slovenia. That has the audacity to go to a refugee camp and wear a jacket that says, I don't care. I'm just, you know, I know there's some people, somebody will send me on Facebook, Ron, you are preaching, leave the politics out of it. But they don't understand. You cannot have politics without having religion. We'll get to this. Verse 33, we see about Ahab, more about him. Now remember, Elijah stood with God. Here's Ahab in verse 33. And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel before him. Every king, that, and we, if you read 1 Kings, you see is a litany of every king that did evil in the sight of God. And he get to Ahab and he said he did more than any of them before him. Evil king after evil king after evil king, and here comes Ahab, and he is the most vile of them all. Kind of just like I said about, you know. Now, someone told me, you can't be, you got to be just preach, Ron. You're not supposed to be in the politics. But I preached this before in the Bible. For every king, there was a prophet. The king did not exist without having a prophet because these kings had the proclivity to do things for man. And the prophet was the one to remind the king that who they're supposed to be serving, not their interest, but God. And you see from the very beginning when the children of Israel wanted a king, they chose Saul, God raised up Samuel. When David became king, he still had Samuel, then Nathan became the prophet. And remember when David did his dirt with Bathsheba, Nathan was the one that came and called him on it. The problem we have today is that the man, the man who calls himself the prophet, the women who call themselves people of God, are going to the king of this land and just confirming what he's doing to himself. Telling everybody else in the world that we are going against the will of God if you speak out against him. When these prophets, biblical prophets, continually told the kings when they were wrong. If you and, and if one of the things that stands out why we know these people are not tied into God is because they never give scripture. You pay attention to these so-called preachers when they're telling you we're wrong. Jim Baker, who we know spent time in prison when he was robbing people as a preacher, is saying that if we go, don't elect Donald Trump in 2020, that the world is going to fall into chaos. Show me in the scripture, Jim. Who's the other lady that this big time with him? I can't even remember her name. Yeah. Uh, but she's world-renowned preacher standing up for him. She has never given a scripture about the support for him and condemns everybody else because they speak out against him. Mm-hmm. That we are evil if we find fault in this man because they believe that God uh, put him in this place at this time. Well, I don't dispute that. Because I believe he put in Obama in a place at that time. Just like he did George Bush II, then Bill Clinton, and George Bush before him, and Ronald Reagan before that. It's nothing exclusive, but there had always been a prophet to deal with the king. Yes. The prophet was the one that spoke for God to the king. When the king got too full of himself doing his own thing, the prophet was the one that brought him back 
to sense, to his senses. But still, we're dealing with this, this idea of, of a, a, a trusting God and not the provision. So we, we have this brook. We, Elijah, we read that he was sent to the wilderness, and he sent by this brook. But at some point, the brook dried up. What has dried up in your life? Where has been flowing that you have been depending on and the brook dried up? I could tell you and everybody knows my story that I had this great job, but the job dried up. People have gone through lives taking care of themselves, always doing what was right, eating right, exercising, and the doctor finally says, no, sorry, I got to give you bad news. Your health dried up. Yes. We've been going to church all this time, serving and doing this, serving and doing that. She's doing this. I'm doing this. And some reason something happens and the marriage falls apart. The marriage dries up. Yes. But one thing we know about brooks drying up is that the brook can dry up because we do things that take us out of the will of God yes. or because we are a victim of what other people have done. Is either people who live in, in Ahab's territory they didn't do anything to experience the drought. Elijah told Ahab, you are the problem. And because you have brought Baal into this land, because you are leading the people wrong, there will not be any rain in this land. So people who had no control over what Ahab was doing is suffering. And we have people who are suffering here and abroad because of the things that we've done. Uh, one of the things that we know that you may have a source of water coming through, but if somebody decides, you know what, I'm going to build the structure upstream and I'm going to stop the water flow here because I want to hoard all the water here and control where it goes and who gets it. Yes. Same type of economic policy we see from our politicians where they're stopping the flow of commerce because we don't want to see too many people get rich. Yes. We got to keep them at a place where we have, uh, we don't want all these people working. We want some people dependent on, on the government, uh, not dependent on us. We don't want everybody working. We don't want all these things happening. And I got to have all this money. The same stuff is happening and people are suffering. So we can be the type of people that are drought resistant. Are we, are you drought resistant? Are you able to be tolerant of a drought to withstand when the flow of water stops? See, plants in nature can become drought resistant. Some plants are made to be drought resistant. We, we call those plants succulents. Cactus fall into that category. They can go long periods without water. But there are other plants that adapt to the condition. They may have seen water come every day or every other day, but when the water doesn't come, instead of just wondering what happened and die, they adapt to it. Some of the things that they do are uh, the, one of the plants I was reading about, it, it grows little hairs on the leaves that prevent the evaporation of water from the leaves yeah. when photosynthesis takes place. They limit the loss of the water. And we know in the Bible that water represents life because when Jesus went to the woman at the well, he said, the water I give, you would never thirst anymore. So when we are dealing with the drought situation, are we limiting the loss of Jesus or are we letting go? Continuing to live our lives any way we please and just all of a sudden all the resources are gone until nothing is there. Other things that plants do when they are adapting to drier conditions is that they, their roots go deeper. Yes, yes. Deeper trying to tap into a source of water. Yes. Or they spread out further from where they are to be able to absorb any water that comes down and moisture in the air. Mm -hmm. They're spreading out and going deep. Yes. This is what we're supposed to be doing. We're trying to become drought resistant is getting deeper in the word. When we go through these droughts, are you spending more time in prayer, more time in the word, growing your faith, become deeper and stronger in what God is trying to do in your life? Or are you just content to just wither up and dry in the dry heat, dry up in the heat? The other thing that plants do is they store water in their roots or inside or trees inside the trunk. What God has given us, do we hold on to it? Do we store that word in our hearts? 
That when we're facing the storm that we can speak to it and speak the word of God to it? Or are we just sitting there and just, well, I know what the Bible says. I know I should be reading my Bible. I know I should be praying right now. But, but plants adapt and become drought resistant. And that is a point that we need to get to. Getting to a place of becoming drought resistant where we are uh, uh, limiting the loss of God's word and his spirit in our hearts, holding on to it, digging deeper into his word that we become more rooted in what God is saying and trying to do in our lives and store it up so that we have it handy and available when the storms come that we can speak to it with God's word and not this cute little cliche that pastor so-and-so, no, better yet, prophet so-and-so at divine blessed, holistic happiness, whatever, ministry and find out that word don't count for nothing. So in our scripture we have uh, in 1 Kings uh, the chapter 16, uh, this is uh, uh, introducing Jezebel. This is 31 and 32. This is, we already know who Ahab is, but now here's Jezebel. And I'm doing all this because we've got to set the backdrop to understand exactly what has happened with Elijah when he experiences the, run, uh, the brook that runs dry and how we're supposed to behave when our brook runs dry. Yeah. And it tells us here that it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. This is Ahab, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians. This is Ahab taking his foreign wife. And he went and he served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. Ahab was a member of the Israelite tribe. He is supposed to follow the one true God. But because he took it upon himself, violating the law of God by marrying someone who was not an Israelite, he then turned to her God and had the audacity to build a temple to that God. Uh, We know this is the law of violation of the law because God wrote it in Deuteronomy 7, 3, and 4. Nor shall you make marriages with them, nor shall you not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter, uh, don't give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. This God is tough. Ahab knew this, but he lost sight of God. He was enamored with his power, enamored with the position and office of king that he took his sight off God, broke the law, and built the temple to this false god, Baal. Here are some of the things that we, we know from this story. Ahab had a proclivity to do evil. We know that Ahab violated the law by taking a foreign wife. Noted here. We know where Jezebel came from, uh, Sidon. She was a Sidonian princess. We know where Elijah came from because it tells us in verse 1, chapter 17, verse 1, that he was from Gilead. And we know that later on in the scripture, the widow, we know where she's from. And then we also know who and what God used to help Elijah. The same things that he will use and to help us when our brook runs dry. So, Jezebel. Jezebel was from Sidon, from which was a Phoenician city. And if you remember your elementary, middle school uh, world history, uh, Phoenicia was a port city near the Mediterranean. Now, the one thing that's interesting about the Phoenicians is that if you look up and just look at the pictures and the drawings of the Phoenicians and the way that it was taught to me in school, they looked a certain way. Uh, but when you dig a little deeper and find statues of the Phoenicians, this is what they look like. Wide noses and big lips. You look at that head. If that don't look like my head, I don't know what does. Big head, big nose, big lips. Ain't nothing like what I saw in the history books at school. Uh, uh, this, uh, as a matter of fact, this Phoenician bust was taken in Spain because remember, uh, uh, Hannibal, the Car- uh, Carthi- Car- from Carthage, went into uh, Europe with his army, 
And Carthage is a city of Phoenicia. It was part of the Phoenician country. So here we here we got Phoenicia. Uh, here's a drawing from one of a carving on one of the walls in a Phoenician temple. Uh, and there's another statue. Now we know from history, uh, we know from history that when the Europeans came into the places where our people were to remove this image, they destroyed the noses off the statues. You can look through every major historical location where black people were, and the one thing that you'll see is a lot of noses being destroyed. They didn't want to see that distinct feature. The greatness that was done in these places. But we've been told the story of, of all these people not realizing these are the people that are in the Bible. Yeah. And somebody told me, why are you so worried about that? Why is it so important? Because you need to know the truth. If you don't know the truth, the truth is the whole truth. We say the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. If you don't think the image makes any difference, what would happen if they sit and put my picture on Mount Rushmore and took George Washington's off? The image is important because I was not president of the United States. You cannot carve my face into this mountain and replace somebody else. You cannot uh, erase these faces from biblical history just because it suits your need. This is the truth. So Jezebel was from Sidon, black woman. The widow who fed Elijah was from Sidon, black woman. I don't want anybody sending me direct messages that I'm out of line. That's the truth. Amen. The truth. Yes. It, 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 a friend of mine was saying uh, when the, this whole controversy with the Little Mermaid, now that they got the little, the little black girl playing Ariel, and people are losing their minds. <laughs> losing their minds. So they, the little, a cartoon character has always been white. You can't, you're destroying my childhood. I had to put on Facebook one day, I mean, everybody knows Cleopatra did not look like Elizabeth Taylor. How many years have we seen distorted images on film and nobody blinks an eye? But the minute they want to put some girl who they believe is going to do a good job in a cartoon, they're losing their mind over fantasy? How are they going to feel when they go see Jesus? <laughs> Lord God, you realize you're going to be bowing down to a black man? <laughs> we know she was from Sidon because it tells us in verse 9 of chapter 17, he tells Elijah, after the brook runs dry, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. Yeah. A single woman, single woman of color. Isn't it funny that all them thousands of years ago, a single black woman with a child is in church helping the man of God. 2019, our churches are still filled with single black women with children taking care of the church. And, and people have the audience want to make women second place. And we're sitting everywhere you look in the Bible, women are the ones helping everybody. If it wasn't for women, I don't know where the men would be. Yes. But we're dealing with this brook drying up. So uh, I'm only going to be able to make one point. We'll uh, pick the rest of this up next week. So one of the things we have to remember when the brook dries up is God has already made provision. God has already made provision. In verse 3 and 4, chapter 17, he tells them, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook chair, which flows into the Jordan, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded ravens to feed you there. Remember what provision was providing in advance? Yes. God has said, I have commanded these, these ravens to feed you. This is already taken care of. Yes. You're going to have a problem with uh, Ahab and Jezebel. There's not going to be any rain in the land. Yes. But you go here because I've already provided this place for you. Yes. Yes, sir. When your brook runs dry, God has already taken care of it. Mm. Then you have to understand in the whole, uh, the whole totality of what it means to have no rain. It's not just 
going through a period where we went in California, we had a drought. How many years we had a drought? Seven years or something like that? Yeah. We're not talking about this, that little California drought where they tell you don't water your lawns and you're only supposed to take showers. We're talking about no rain, no dew. Yeah. Complete dryness for years. Mm -hmm. And what that meant in an agricultural society without any rain, yeah. no crops That's can grow. Right. Right. Without any rain, you can't water your animals. Right. Without any rain, trees are not bearing fruit. Mm -hmm. So that means that people are dying as a result. Tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people are dying at this time or had died because there had been no rain in the land. How do you think that affected Ahab and the people who believed in Ahab? Here's this man that gets elected making all these promises that he says what he's going to do, but he's leading them away from what God is having them to do, and now they're bearing the brunt because of his, uh, his uh, they followed this illegal king as a president who's trying to make himself a queen with his foreign bride and the people are following him and we can see right now where this nation is headed just like Israel was headed and people are going to lose their lives this was serious business that when he says it and we got to understand too that a brook is not a real stream a stream is, a, is bigger than a brook. A brook is just a small stream. And a stream is smaller than a river. And a river is smaller than a lake and the ocean and so on and so forth. But God is saying uh, to go to the brook Cherith. And you also have to understand about a brook that it comes in a valley. Because when it rains, the water runs down the mountain and fills up into the stream. And as the stream fills up, it breaks off into the brook. And it's all gravity that is driving this water down this brook until it feeds into the Jordan River. Yes. We all want to be on the mountaintop. Because the mountaintop is where we think all the blessings and the good things, the gifts that God has us from. But here is the brook that before it dries up, God sends him from the mountaintop into the valley. Yes. Yes. David wrote in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Yes. The valley is the place of desolation. The valley is the place of death and alone isolation. But God sends him to the valley. Yes. Huh. I'm up. There won't be any rain, but I provided for you. Yes. But your provision is in the valley. Yes. He sent him from the mountaintop to the valley. But here's the other kicker. There's no rain. There's no rainfall. There's not supposed to be a stream. There's no rain falling on the mountain washing down into the river into a stream that's going to create a brook. There is no rain. But God sends him to the place of isolation that's not supposed to have a stream and yet he gets there and there's water. You know what that means for us that when your brook is drying up, when you yeah. find yourself in that place and God has already provided, that means where there is not supposed to be life, yeah. there is life. There it is. There it is. There it is. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes. He said in Isaiah 43:19, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even uh, make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Yeah. Yeah. This is what God has promised to us. He's going to make rivers in the desert where there's not supposed to be life that will bring forth life. If you keep your eye on the provider and not the provision. You keep your eye on the one who gives. You don't have to worry about what's supposed to happen when things start to dry up. When you start to see the drain stop falling and the drought in your life, you begin to get deeper. Yeah. Stop doing those things that lets the water and God get away from you and dig deeper into God. Yeah. Store up what God has said in your life and trust in him that when he sends you to this place and you get there, even though it's supposed to be a place of desolation, he has provided life. He said to go because there's water at the brook Cherith, brook Cherith. And I got food for you. Yeah. You got a sandwich in the morning and a sandwich every night. Yeah. You just go, just go until I tell you. Uh, we got two other points for, uh, for next week. We got to wrap this up here. What happens when the brook dries up? What you going to do? What are you going to do when the brook dries up?
How much trust are you going to put in God? Trusting in him and only him. And not on the gifts that you believe you're supposed to have. God has not put us on this road just solely for us to accumulate things. I look at, at, at Gerard and his situation. Danny and Gerard had no idea that he would end up having a stroke that would cause all the problems it did. Uh, if you remember when, we, when I sent out the first email about helping them, then it seemed the overwhelming consensus was, let's help them now and give them some more later. And I just did that uh, this, uh, one day this week, the, the, some more money for them. And Danny's response said, you would have thought you gave us $5,000. You don't know how much of a blessing this is for us. Their brook is drying up. But God had said, I have already made a way. His way was this little church that's not very big with a few people that has it on their heart to say, we're going to do for God's people. We're going to help those who can't help themselves. Yes, sir. And she said the thing that struck me more than anything else. No other church. They keep in mind, she sings at a lot of churches. A lot of people know her, including their own church. No one has helped us at all. And I know one of the churches they go to. And I know this pastor. And he is a regarded pastor, a highly regarded pastor. Nobody has helped. Keep on this church got 200 people. My, my, my. Is there any wonder there's no power in the church? Is there no wonder we don't see miracles happening in churches? How is it that people so known and loved can't even get any help from a place that is supposed to help I know Curtis plays at other churches. We're, we just found out about this situation, but I guarantee you, five or six other people know what's going on with Curtis. How has nobody reached out to Curtis? How are churches, what are we focused on as churches? Are we only focused on buying cars and houses for our pastors? Building these big buildings so we can say, look at what we built this huge sanctuary. Who's, who's our minister of music and look at the people who sing in our choir. Is that what we're about? I, I, it, just blew my, it, it blows my mind that people who lead churches for 30 and 40 years and they don't do anything for anybody. God said to, to, to Elijah, I have commanded a will a little single black woman with a child to feed you. He can't use a church with 2,000 members or a church with 2,000 members won't be used by God. We have to look at where we are and what we contribute to people experiencing drought. We're going to see next week what happens because this this Elijah's brook had dried up but this widow's brook had also dried up you know the story when when Elijah comes to her says give me some cake and she says all I got is a handful of flour and a cup of oil and I'm making one last meal for me and my son and he says make me mine first I mean, you can hear these words. Fool, don't you see? I'm a single black woman here trying to take care of my kid, and you trying to tell me to feed you too? Trifling preacher, that's exactly what You trifling preacher. We got to do better. And you think about these remaining six months, these 171 days in 2019, and your process of transformation. And really, really do some deep soul searching. What am I doing to contribute to my drought? 
what am I doing to help others in their drought season? Because if we look at our nation, we one of the excuses you hear from people who are even Christian. We can't let all these people in here because there's not enough for them. But the widow didn't say, I can't do this because I don't have enough for you. It was because she didn't have enough and she gave anyway that she had plenty. Yeah. When we want to say God bless America, we have to bless God's yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. And if we bless yeah. God's people, yeah. God will endurably yeah. bless America. There will be resources for those if we give to those who are in need. That is why we as a church have not had any need because we continue to give to those in need. While other churches with 2,000 members are having problems making their payroll, we are trying to give money away. Think about that. Really let that sink in. Big churches are telling people don't cash a check because they don't have enough money. And yet we are giving money away. Our Lord and our God, we thank you and praise you. We lift your name up and give you all the praise, glory, and honor that is due you. We thank you, God, for being our Lord. We thank you for sending our Savior. We thank you for loving us when we are incapable of being loved. But more than anything else, God, we thank you for your word, which is a light to our feet. Illuminates our path to show us the direction in which we should go. You let us know what it means to serve your people. You let us know what it means to trust in you, God. And we have the choice. And so, God, today, we are choosing you. We are foregoing the houses and land. We are giving up the gold and the silver because we are deciding to make you our choice. Lord, we know that the road gets rough, the going gets tough, and the hills are hard to climb. But it doesn't matter how long we've been on this road. Today, we have decided to make you our choice. Help us, God, that this fever spread to every church that is opened in your son Jesus' name. Let this fever spread throughout all the people who are sitting in the pews. Let this fever spread to our politicians that they will have some sense of morality and decency. That we do not treat human beings like dogs and treat animals like people. Help us to have hearts that we are not cruel to animals, but we are sure not going to treat a dog better than we treat a child. Help us, God, because we are lost. We are lost and have served everything but you, but help us to get back on path. So let this fever of love, this fever of, of, of serving, a fever of giving spread throughout this land that we indeed become not just a land uh, of people who will call themselves the United States, but a land that can truly say that we are a Christian nation and we are here to serve God's people. Help us, God, for it is in your son, Jesus Christ's name, that we do pray and believe. Amen. 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 Amen.